What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Tom Westerholm. I'm joined today by Chris Granham, and we're going to talk about the Celtics games this weekend. We're recording this on Sunday morning. The Celtics beat the Bucks without any of their good players, except for Drew Holiday. They still needed overtime to do it. They lost to the Cavaliers after blowing a 19-point lead in the second half, looking very much like the team that we know and love to cover here on Geno Time. We're going to go through five questions, just what we saw and what we think the implications of what we saw might be going forward. So before we do that, I mean, just just real quick, give me your like 30 second synopsis of the the weekend's action here. I don't think anything that happened this weekend is particularly good, but I don't think it's as bad as everyone like on Celtics Twitter and stuff is making it seem, you know, you're playing without your second best player who has really been your best player to this point in the season. And Last night, they didn't have Al Horford. And it's not close. Frankly. It's not close. It's it really is. It really isn't close. Jalen has been the clear cut best player on this team. So I don't think it's as concerning as some fans are making it seem, but it certainly wasn't good. And there's plenty to talk about and we'll, we'll get into all of it, but I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people are making it out to be. I think, yeah, I think it, it depends a lot on what your expectations are. If your expectations yes. are for the Celtics to be a contender, then yes, this was not a good weekend for you. If your expectations <laughs> are that the Celtics might be able to turn things around if Jason Tatum gets going, maybe we can talk. Let's start. My first question actually is related to that. So I think it's a nice transition here. Number one, how concerned are you by Saturday's loss? So the reason I ask is obviously the Celtics blew a big lead. They have had a tendency of doing that. I mean, obviously it's pretty easy to blow leads in the NBA. I guess give me out of out of 10, how concerned are you by what happened yesterday? Just looking like in a vacuum at Saturday's loss, I would say I'm probably a five, a four. Like Saturday has much less concern for me in comparison to like the Bulls loss, where yeah. it it seems, you know, you're you're much more full strength. You're, I don't know. The fact that they were down Al Horford, down Jalen Brown last night to a Cavs team that's playing pretty well, like down Josh Richardson, not down Josh Richardson, like who has been very good in Jalen Brown's absence. He's been good on both ends. I don't think there's as many red flags popping up as when you blew a 19 point lead to the bulls, but it's definitely not good. Like that they were horrible in the fourth quarter. And that's not a game injuries aside. That's not a game they should have lost. They had that game, you know, in hand, they're up 19. And I don't think, that you could have seen a 15-point fourth quarter coming. So it's definitely not good by any means, but I'm not nearly as concerned as I was following the Bulls game where you're like, oh, there's some pretty pretty bad tendencies there. And there's bad tendencies in this fourth quarter too. But I just think you should take the approach here of kind of being as rational as you can and say, all right, look who the Celtics did not have and think about how this would have gone if they had those guys like ah. I'm normally not that guy, but I do think it's a little less concerning than some of these other losses. Here's my thing. At about the three minute mark in the third quarter, the Celtics basically like a subbed out, I think like three guys, their lineup for the end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter was Grant Williams, Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford, Jabari Parker, and Peyton Pritchard. That lineup got absolutely shelled. Like they were up 19 at the time when those guys went in two minutes into the fourth quarter when the last of those guys, Jabari Parker, who was uh, also maybe the most disastrous of that bunch. Um, when he went out, it was actually, it was about like the nine thirty mark. The lead had been cut to three. 
So over that stretch, that like roughly five and a half minute stretch spanning the end of the third quarter to the beginning of the fourth quarter, that was when the game was lost. Uh And so the game wasn't lost by the Celtics like rotation players. Now, I know there's been a lot of chatter about Aaron Neesmith and how he should be playing more and all that stuff. I agree with I I mostly agree with all that. I I can see, you know, I think he probably seen some stuff in practice that we're not. My thing is just, look, this is not the group the Celtics usually play. And it's also not the group the Celtics usually play together. Like when those guys are in the game, they're usually either interspersed or the game is well in hand and it's a blowout. It was very obvious last night that the Celtics on the second night of a back-to-back without Al Horford, Josh Richardson, or Jalen Brown needed to buy some minutes for their starters. And so they played this lineup that just got obliterated. And by the time Ime tried to like put guys back in and tried to kind of get things going again, it was too late. Now the Celtics were still up three. And so they still could have kind of pulled things back out, but that young, that Cavaliers team is pretty good. That's the other thing that I think a lot of people are ignoring. The Cavs are a good team. They're nine and five. If you give a good young team that many good vibes of just like that big comeback and like give them all that reason to believe in themselves, Evan Mobley and Darius Garland are good basketball players Evan Mobley especially I think that guy's going to be an absolute stud there's real talent on that Cavaliers team so honestly it depends what you mean what I mean by concerned like in in terms of where I think this team could go this season I'm literally at like a one that was just a weird game like and that's going to happen when you have real rotation guys out sometimes that happens sometimes the other team just catches a heater and there's nothing you can do about it I think that's what happened last night. My evaluation pretty much remains the same. If Jason Tatum is a good basketball player, the Celtics are going to be pretty good. These blown leads don't really change my mind in that regard at all. This team goes as far as Jason Tatum will take them. He's not taking them very far right now. He just Mm -hmm. hasn't been very good. And I think that just really, really limits the ceiling. But yeah, I mean, that lineup at the end of the third quarter really did kill them. They ran the lineup in the first quarter, that same lineup as well for a brief period, it wasn't good, but neither team could hit anything at that point. It was a really ugly start. And I think they got kind of got away with it at that point, but you're right. Like the crowd was behind Cleveland at that point. Like it was a good atmosphere. They got those young guys that started rolling. Ricky Rubio was playing well. So that was ultimately like their downfall. And it's tough because Imanodoka wasn't working with a whole lot last night in terms of depth. That being said, he has run some questionable lineups even when he's running a full roster, and that does concern me a little bit with some of his lineup decisions. And again, I don't really like to criticize coaches on that stuff because, like you said, they're seeing things in practice we don't see. They are like brilliant basketball minds. I'm just a guy sitting at my laptop here watching the game, but I do think at times when they've had full rosters, he has gone – like there is sometimes they go with the – um, they've gone with all bench lineups before they've gone with a uh, Horford Schroeder in the bench lineups, which have been hit or miss at times. I'm just curious about what he's going to do going forward when this team is fully healthy lineup wise, because I do think some of the decisions have been pretty poor and they've backfired, but last night, like there's only so much you can do. You don't, you're not working with a whole lot without Horford Richardson, Jalen Brown. So yeah, sure. You could try to get Tatum in as many lineups as possible. You could try to keep Schroeder out there. It's really hard to do that, but I do think that that lineup was really, really killer, and hopefully Jalen Brown comes back sooner rather than later so they don't have to turn to that anymore. But yeah, like the expectations. My concern isn't very high considering what I thought this team was going to be. I think when we did our preview podcast, I think I had this team as like the seventh seed maybe, Um, and yeah, I could see a seventh seed losing a game like this. (laughs) Totally. 
Yeah, totally. I think we touched on it a couple times there. So let's get into my next question, which is, is Jason Tatum broken? Uh, because he has been really bad. Another tough game last night, which, and the scary thing I think for the Celtics is that he was bad and he fit perfectly into his season averages. So yeah, he was eight for 22 this season. He's averaging about eight for 22 from the floor. He's averaging about eight, eight makes at about 22 attempts. He was one for eight from three point range. Just again, cannot find his three pointer. And look, I think that there is very little reason to believe that Jason Tatum won't find his level when he does that. I suspect that the Celtics will too. And right now the Celtics are six and seven. So if Jason Tatum goes on a streak, however many games in a row they win, you know, whether it's like, you know, they win five in a row, six in a row, whether they win like, you know, 13 of 16 or whatever it is, all of that is just going to be like numbers over 500 that they then are. Right. And that's right. So that's, I think, the the thing you tell yourself when you're watching Tatum struggle like this, if, if you have a more optimistic view of the Celtics. But I mean, we've said it over and 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 over. This team goes as far as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown take them. And yeah, honestly, Jason Tatum has been about a six and seven basketball player so far this season. I think that's perfectly appropriate. Like in, the biggest thing to me right now is that he is averaging about 23 points on about 22 shots a game. And that is just not even close to good enough. Those are some like retro DeMar DeRozan numbers when he gets into those cycles, scoring 18 points on 18 shots. Yeah, he's been, he has not been good. And the Bucks game was really weird on Friday where it's, he was just really clunky and he was against Cleveland too. He hasn't found any rhythm whatsoever, but in the second half and really starting in the second quarter, he was kind of floating above the break and then he would move right across the paint and just kind of hang and he was doing the same thing almost every possession for a while there where he would just kind of float above the break and then he would move right across the paint and they were waiting for him after a while like it was it was very obvious what he was going to do it was it was odd because I hadn't seen him fall into that particular like pattern I was noticing it during the game and I made note of it but then you know he finally gets downhill with like five minutes left in that game and he draws a foul. It's his first foul of the game. If you're not working with Jalen Brown, you need Tatum to produce. You can't have him getting his first free throw attempt with four minutes left in the game. Like that's a problem, but I don't know if it doesn't click or if it's just not second nature to him at this point, but when he gets downhill, like good things happen. Like he gets downhill in that situation. He draws a foul. He hadn't really gotten downhill at all in that second half. He gets downhill early in overtime and makes a really good read and dumps it off to Rob Williams underneath who gets fouled and knocks down both free throws. Like there are good things that happen when he gets downhill. He hasn't been doing that a whole lot. And also it just doesn't look like he's comfortable like in any way. So I talk about him making the good read and dumping it off to Rob inside. He hasn't made a whole lot of good reads in the last couple of games. He had some bad cross court passes last night against Cleveland, like really questionable decisions that we haven't seen him make a lot at all over the last couple of years. Normally, He's a pretty smart decision maker. I don't know if he's pressing without Jalen. Maybe that's the case, but he just doesn't look comfortable in any sense of the word. And that goes to his playmaking, his scoring, really everything. So it's definitely concerning. I'm with you. I think he'll, you know, water's going to find its level at some point, but it's concerning because he's been, he's been pretty bad. And it would be one thing if it was like five games in, but we're 13 games in, yeah. you know, this we've seen a lot of Celtics basketball so far and it looks pretty similar. 
feels like the three-point shooting is a big part of it. And that I think is the case. I mean, he's shooting like 32%. Like if, yeah, if he's a 32% three-point shooter, the Celtics are in a lot of trouble. But last year, 27.8% of his offense was in the pick and roll. This year, about 16% of right. it is. So he's running less pick and roll. That was a big part of why he was so good last year. Was And I mean, a lot of that too, not for nothing, was Daniel Tice because he and Tice worked really, really well together. There's absolutely no reason Al Horford couldn't work well with him too. It's just going to be a matter of making that happen. Isolations, he's up quite a bit, uh, 23.7% from 18.6. Like, you know, not huge, but, you know, a few more possessions a game. Mm-hmm. And isolations are awful for him. 0.79 uh, points per possession. Yeah, Just not going to get it done. And I think to your point about him not looking comfortable, last night, three turnovers in the fourth quarter. Uh, he had six overall. Those three turnovers, I mean, again, they were in the fourth quarter. That was when the game was being lost. They yeah. were in the process of handing the game back to Cleveland. It's not like Jason Tatum is trying to be bad. You know what I mean? So you, you feel a little bad kind of like picking on him every single game and being like, why isn't Tatum better? Why isn't Tatum better? Because, you know, he hears that. He's admitted that he hears that. And so you do kind of feel like, I know he's trying, but at the same time, it's like, if you're going to break down what's wrong with the Celtics or what's going on with the Celtics, it starts with him. You know, when something's going right, it starts with him. When something's going wrong, it starts with him. And that's going to be the case as long as he's on this team. As good as Jalen Brown is, he doesn't have the full keys to everything. Jason Tatum has the keys to everything. He can do whatever he wants on any given possession. We'll get into Ime Yudoka's like last play selection. And I think, there's been a lot of hand wringing about that. You know, if Jason, if Tatum makes some of those shots, all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's a completely different narrative about those final plays. There's reason for him to have all of this freedom, but that with that freedom also comes the fact that like, if you're bad, the Celtics are also going to be bad. Or if you're mediocre, the Celtics are also going to be mediocre. And I just, I think that's where we are. Um, he's, he's having a bad season and the Celtics are also having a bad season. Like, you know, I wrote it in the, the takeaways last night on boston.com. Correlation is not always causation or uh, causation is not always correlation, but like sometimes maybe it is. <laughs> we talk, That's all we talked about during the preseason. This team just doesn't have the offensive production to look elsewhere in a sense where he's when he's playing bad. They really don't, especially in a situation like last night when they don't have Al Horford and Jalen Brown. So, yeah, I mean, he's been bad. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Again, we're both kind of in the same camp where he's going to come back to maybe not what he was last year or something like that, but he's going to come back a little bit. I assume bit. so. Yeah. I assume I, so. Like, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've done, you're right. What are, there's a lot of stars that are kind of struggling this year. Bradley Beal hasn't been good. Trey Young hasn't been good. Do you think that Tatum, I know there's been a lot of talk about the ball, but that's just kind of mm. whatever. I, I don't, I don't really know about that, but do you think, just the way the games are being called a little bit differently has impacted him and maybe his approach. Cause I've watched the wizards. It's definitely impacting Bradley Beal for sure. And I haven't watched a whole lot of Hawks games, but when I have certainly impacting Trey young too. So do you think maybe the new ball, but more, more so how the game is being called. Do you think that has any impact on him? I have no idea. I think probably to an extent. And if that's the case, kind of interesting yeah kind of, you know it kind of tells me something about about those guys and about the guys who are thriving you know with, yeah. the, with the rules the way they are it will be very interesting if if the nba continues with this i the fallout would be fascinating because it will cost guys money for sure it, like if guys can't adjust to this if, if jason tatum is not like a superstar under these new rules if bradley beals not that's that's money out of people's pockets that's not going to be something the players union is going to like which yeah. will be pretty interesting 
I, I mean, I I don't know about you. I've enjoyed the way these games I love are. It. I think it's way better. I really oh, enjoy so the fun. way. Yeah, I really enjoy the way these games are being are being called. Like lower scoring. It's a little more physical. I like it a lot. But he's not alone at all. But it's got to be brutal for some of these guys because this is not. It sounds ridiculous, and it might sound a little bit dramatic, but this is not the NBA that they developed in. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's it it well, is dramatic. It, it is, is dramatically different. So. For a guy like Jason Tatum to now have to adjust, he's become so accustomed to the former NBA, and now the games are being called, you know, legitimately differently. It's got to yeah. be tough to adjust. I think there's, and I think there's two implications of that if that is the case. And obviously, we're dealing in some hypotheticals here, so right. I don't want to be like this is all exactly what's happening to Jason Tatum. But it's yeah. an interesting question, so I do want to explore it. Two things about that: he has an advantage there because if you look at somebody like Trey Young, Trey and like Bradley Beal, honestly too. Those guys rely on it because they are not big. You know, mm-hmm. they relied on those rules. They're not six foot seven towering dudes. Like they, they rely on their quickness. They rely on their shiftiness. And yeah, if you're allowed to be more physical, if there, if more physicality is being allowed in the game, that shiftiness is still important, but it's not everything, you know? Yeah. And I, I think Tatum could adjust, right? Like he is, he is a big, strong young man. Now he is uh, six foot nine, six foot 10. He's huge. Like, he should be able to adjust to that eventually. So I think there is something to that where maybe if if this if this part aspect of the game is really affecting him down the line, he might be able to make the adjustments and and figure some things out. If he does, I think he would be really smart to take a page out of Jalen Brown's book because if you look at what Jalen Brown does every single game, it's the same four or five moves, mm-hmm. but he is so good at them. Yeah. If you can just do the same four or five things all the time, it's repeatable. You have a counter move if they cut off one of your good moves, but you don't have to do like all of this like freestyle adjusting that I feel like Tatum does a lot of the time. Like he's got a few repeatable moves where it's like that turnaround over over one shoulder. Like that one works. The sidestep three has not been really working, but you know, the step backs last year, he was shooting like 45% on them. He has a few moves or like, you know, the, the pick and roll, like, you know, Euro step, sidestep layups, like, if he can, if he like simplified things, I wonder if that would work a little bit better rather than trying to do all this like creative, you know, like stuff, maybe he can kind of level things out for himself. Yeah. The forced creativity is not a great look on Jason Tatum. He just doesn't have it in his back. And most guys Again, don't 0.79 on his isolations, right? There's no creativity there. And that's just never been his style. So I totally agree. If he could simplify things a little bit, and just harp on those set, like that set of moves, I think it, it maybe helped him out a little bit because when he's trying to be creative or trying to adjust on the fly, he ends up holding the ball for a couple seconds too long. You just kill an ants along the perimeter. There's it, it just drives the Celtics into that kind of stagnant mode. But yeah, real quick on the sidestep, Shemi was waiting for that on at one possession on Friday. I thought that was really, really funny. He just whacked the shit out of it when he stepped to the side. It was that was pretty great. So I enjoyed that. But yeah, I agree with you. I I, uh, I think he has the size and strength advantage over a lot of these guys that are struggling. So we'll see if he can kind of simplify his game moving forward because the adjusting on the fly has never been his strength. Yeah, if, if you want some some Tatum step back, whatever, sidestep uh, stats here. Uh, Tatum pull-up shooting. He's taking about eight attempts per game. Uh, he is shooting 34.6. Oh, no, excuse me. He's taking about 10 pull-up attempts per game, shooting 34.6% on those. 4.5 of those are threes where he's shooting 28.8%. So not working. Whatever he's trying to do there, not working at all. All right, next question for you. Uh, let's let's rattle through a couple of them here kind of quick here because I think these next two are related. Dennis Schroeder, what do you do about this guy? Like he is looking like prime Isaiah Thomas 
just getting to the rim whenever he wants and, you know, beating big guys, trickery, like pick and roll stuff. He looks great. He looks dynamic. The Celtics are relying on him heavily. I don't know how sustainable that is, but he looks good. Curious what you think. Yeah, he looks really good. We said it a lot in the offseason that he was going to be their third best scorer. I did not think they would be relying on him this heavily off the bat, but they quickly are. Yeah, we, we said that he was going to be their third best scorer, which we were wrong. He is their second or first best scorer. <laughs> That's actually very true. We were wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's been he's been really good at times over these last two games. We've gotten the kind of side by side of the two Dennis shooters because there's one Dennis shooter who is a little erratic on the court, turns the ball over quite a bit and makes some questionable decisions. There's the other Dennis shooter who gets into the teeth of defense really effectively and is a like a pretty good three-point shooter all of a sudden, which is really surprising me. I do think it's kind of a weird conundrum, right? Because once Jalen Brown, everyone's back healthy, he can't score at this volume anymore. So I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure what you do. Like he took 19 shots last night. He took 27 shots against the Bucks. So that's high volume. Obviously that has to do with Jalen Brown's absence, but curious to see how they work him in here moving forward. He limited the turnovers against Cleveland uh, to more, kind of. more kind of, yeah, more so than he did against the Bucks. He had a couple turnovers down the stretch that were a little, eh, uh, he finished with four, but I don't know. I mean, I think my bottom takeaway is very simplified. It's he has been really, really good and he has stepped up when the Celtics like desperately need him. So I think that's a good sign that you can have that kind of in your back pocket. I'm just curious to see how he fits into the offense now that this has been shown when everyone comes back. I think it'll be interesting to see that. Yeah. The turnovers are concerning. He's averaging six a game over the last Yeah, that's three. a problem. He's up, he's up to he's up to three a game. He but before before this little stretch, I will say he was only averaging two a game. That uh makes a difference. But also if you look at the last three games, he's had a lot more responsibility. So yeah. take that however you want to take that. I don't know that it's a great sign. However, the man is scoring the ball at a heck of a clip. The Celtics would not have, honestly, the Celtics would not have been in. I, they would have lost that Milwaukee game handily. I, there, I know there was a lot of chatter. He was bad defensively in that game. He's, he was. He's, he's not, has not been a great defender this season by any stretch of the imagination, obviously. But like, I'm sorry, at some point, somebody's got to put the ball in the hoop. Like, you can be as good as you want defensively. If you can't score, zero points isn't going to win you any games. So yeah. Dennis Schroeder putting up nearly 40, that'll, that'll help you. Well, yeah, let's get into the last takeaway or last question here because he saved their ass against Milwaukee down the stretch with some of those possessions. Right. All right. Well, second to last because I got one more after this. But uh, okay. the, uh, the last yeah, the last plays, we, we mentioned we were going to talk about this. Obviously, the Celtics go ISO a lot down the stretch. They are not alone. <laughs> like uh, Every team goes ISO a lot down the stretch, especially when they have scores. They tried it last night against the Cavs. And Schroeder missed a shot, you know, that would have tied the game at the buzzer. I mean, he, he had a tough look. They were trying to attack Chetty Osman. Celtics obviously went away from the Tatum ISOs that have not worked at all. The Tatum ISO that did not work to win the game against Milwaukee, like just not working because Jason Tatum is not really because Jason Tatum is making like 30% of his shots. So you have a three in 10 chance of getting a bucket when he goes ISO down the stretch or less than that, probably if you look at the ISO numbers. I mean, what do you, what do you make of that? How much of this do you put on email? How much of this do you think is the players? Like where, I don't know, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this one, but what do you think of that? I think it's a combo of Emi Odoka and his players. This is not a strong offensive team. We knew that coming into the season. So you can't put all of it on Emi Odoka. That being said, in clutch scenarios, this team has zero creativity, like yeah. at all. There is no fluidity to the offense. There's no creativity at all. 
There's a lack of secondary actions, which I find bizarre in clutch situations. It's really, really weird when that first action doesn't hit. They just go stagnant and immediately revert to an ISO situation where, like you said, they haven't had any success whatsoever. They are so lucky that Dennis Schroeder bailed them out because they should not have the offensive possessions in overtime against Milwaukee were horrific. They were they were really, really stagnant, really, really bad. And they are so lucky that he came up and hit a three. Yeah, their defense did clamp up a little bit in that overtime, which helped. But the offense was terrible. And Schroeder bailed them out a couple of times because he was the only guy who took someone off the dribble a couple of times and he hit a three down the stretch. So he really saved them. Last night was the same thing. They got stagnant. There was no fluidity, no creativity at all. It was interesting that Chetty Osman was one of the guys they wanted to pick on. Like you said, I get it. Schroeder's quick off the dribble and Osman doesn't move all that well laterally. So I do understand, you know, from a bird's eye view that he's probably the guy that you want to go after if you can get a mismatch there, but he was good defensively in the fourth quarter. So I thought that was interesting. He had no issue cutting Dennis Schroeder off at all and forced him into that tough corner fadeaway. It feels like every last possession with the Celtics team ends in a fadeaway from the corner that's contested. And that has to be torturous for Celtics fans, but I think it's half on EMA, half on the players because their late game offense is terrible. It's it's really, really bad. However, their defense has been quite good. So I'm going to go with like a glass half full, glass half empty look, right? Like the glass half full look, is that the defense has been excellent. This team is going to need to be elite defensively to be a good basketball team. And they're moving in that direction. If you look at them in the last, uh, I believe it was uh, Bill Sy of Celtics blog pointed out that in the last like six games, they have the number one defensive rating. If you look at the last two weeks, they're the number two defense in points allowed for 100 possessions for cleaning the glass. Fifth total now, again, after that tough start, they are now fifth in points allowed for 100 possessions. The defense is getting on track and it looks really good. And I think, again, you can look at the health of this team and say that is a big part of the reason why the offense was so stagnant. Al Horford would have helped. Josh Richardson would have helped. Jalen Brown would have helped. All of these players who are out would have helped even with Jason Tatum struggling. Again, I can't stress enough how bad that lineup was at the end of the third quarter. Terrible. Horrific. Awful, awful, awful. Now, of course, the glass half empty is that this team has been folding. Ime was Ime just seemed very frustrated with them last night, his postgame. Yeah. That was as short as he has been when he's been talking to the media so far. At one point, he was asked, like, what are the lessons from this one? And I think he's probably sick of just saying this because what he said was, toughen up, learn, grow, move on. The Celtics just kind of clammed up and could not do anything. And that's not the recipe for a winning basketball team. Like, you can't get stopped. You can't get buckets in the fourth quarter when you really need them. You're just yeah, you're going to lose a lot of games and you're going to lose some that you probably should have won because you let the lead get away from you. So Ime has not been a perfect coach so far, but I think he's been a little bit better than he's getting credit for, mainly mm-hmm. thanks to the defense. And I think he's got the right read on this team. It's not that complicated. I think they need to get healthy. They need to keep playing good defense. Jason Tatum needs to fix things. And then, like he said, toughen up, learn, grow, move on. Yeah, I, I think it's important to look at the defense. The defense has been really good, but I can't shake the fact that this team They just can't close at all. And that's been an issue for this group over the last couple of years. They can't close. And it's amplified this year with Jason Tatum's struggles because they can't rely on him at this point because he's struggling a little bit. So that's like a glaring thing with this team for me is when things get tight at the end. Like I know they beat Milwaukee. One, that's a game they shouldn't have even been in overtime with you're up six points with 90 seconds left. 
and you fold. Yeah, defense and played they didn't well. Have Chris Middleton or Giannis Antetokounmpo. Or Brooke Lopez. Like, come on, what are what are we doing here? Like, I don't know what they were doing, but I understand Emi Odoka's frustration because it's it's a real it's an issue. I mean, they it, it almost feels like, and not to not to be the guy who blames everything on Kyrie because I'm not that guy, but. <laughs> It does kind of feel like, you know, in 2018-19, closing-wise, they just handed the ball to Kyrie every yeah. single possession. It feels like they never got out of that. You know, that 2017-18 team, like, yeah, a bunch of guys might have made the play down the stretch, and most importantly, it started on the defensive end. They got stops, and then they got buckets on the other end. And, um, you know, 2018-19, it felt like things just kind of, like, you know, slowed to a crawl in those. And, you know, when, when things slow to a crawl in final possessions, if you don't have a guy who can absolutely – you know, 50, 60% of the time, I'm 60 is a lot, but if you can't, if you don't have a guy who can beat opponents in, in isolation at a reasonable clip, or at very least like break down the defense, then all you're doing by slowing the game down is giving the other team a chance to set up their defense and really lock in. And that's been happening to the Celtics a lot. Um, Last question for you here. And we'll end on a positive note. My take, this isn't a question. This is a take. I think Rob Williams is going to make an all-star game or two. I think he's headed in that direction. He's really good. And the Celtics really need him. Now that he's sort of unlocked this like offensive rebounding version of himself, he is nasty. Rob Williams, very good player. I think he's going to be an all-star. Maybe yeah. not this, not, not necessarily this year, but in the future. I could see it uh, at this rate, for sure. I mean, he's made some some pretty great improvements. He's been so good on the offensive board. He had 16 rebounds against a pretty good Cavaliers front court. Like Jared Allen, Evan Mobley. A, those are, yeah, that's a big group. Those are big dudes. That's a good front court. And Rob Williams had no issue. He's six of seven from the field. Obviously, his field goal percentage is normally great, but in November, he's his one, seven. Miss, his one miss was a tip, by the way. Right, right. So, like, he's he's been fantastic. I like the take that he could ultimately be an all star, and he's been good as the defense has improved. He's been a major part of that for sure. He's been really, really solid on the defensive end. But yeah, the offensive rebounding aspect has been pretty great. I think he notices when he can. Collapse. He he's, does a much better job of reading the offensive glass than I think he once did. Now, the one the one question mark about my take is whether um, the East's other centers uh, will ever I, I, like. Certainly, it, it doesn't help him that Evan Mobley looks like he's going to be a. He's going to make uh, an All Star game or two. <laughs> well, that, that, <laughs> yes, uh, Joel Embiid is obviously going to make many All Star teams, so yeah. there is some competition in that front court slot. So I think that's. If there's if I end up being wrong, I think it's going to be a lot more about just there being suddenly a bunch of really good bigs. Certainly at like an all-star level, I would I would agree with that. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think we can leave it there. Obviously, uh, another game against the Cavaliers on Monday. Presumably, that's the day you're going to be listening to this because I don't think I'm going to have time to edit before then. Chance for the Celtics to redeem themselves, but again, Cavaliers are pretty good, so redemption might not be as easy as people might hope given previous Cavaliers teams. But it'll be fun to watch another test for this team and Ime Udoka. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please bring them directly to Chris Grenham's inbox. I'm sure he wants to hear them and wants to respond to every single one of you. So make yourselves heard in Chris Grenham's DMs. That's at Chris Grenham. Well, I don't yeah. remember your name. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, at Chris Grenham. That's G-R-E-N-H-A-M on Twitter. Make sure you hit him up. We appreciate you all, and we will talk to you all again later this week.